Welcome to Carbon Times. Following the success of Series 1 in 2021, we are kicking off 2022 with Series 2. In this series, we are talking about the decarbonisation of domestic homes. With around 25 million domestic homes in the UK, it is no small challenge. We will be talking to industry specialists, the regulators, people that can drive the agenda forward and homeowners making the transition. Thank you for continuing to listen as we pull together people from across the industry to keep the conversation going. Our continued aim being to get the industry talking. We all have a responsibility to drive the decarbonisation of the places and the spaces we use. The heat and building strategy covers an immensely important policy area and one that is, uh, I can tell you, right at the top of the government's agenda. The challenge that we face, as you've said, to decarbonise the nation's 30 million buildings is quite simply fairly monumental. They currently account for roughly one third of our emissions. Net zero is now a legal obligation by 2050. It's the most ambitious target in the industrialised world. And it does necessitate nothing short of a green industrial revolution. Welcome back to Carbon Times. This is the third episode in our second series where we're looking at the challenges and opportunities associated with the decarbonisation of domestic homes in the UK. We are absolutely delighted to be joined by Russell Williams today. Russ has been invited along onto the podcast to talk to us about the journey him and his family have taken from living in what we would generally call a normal home into a more sustainable type environment and the challenges and benefits and everything else in between. So hello, Russ, how are you? Hi, fine, thanks. Thanks for joining us. Just to start off with, I guess there's a little bit of a journey there for our listeners to understand about you. So would you be able to Give us a little bit of insight from how you've come from living in, like I said, a normal type house into where you are today. So, yeah, I lived in a leaky Victorian coach house in the Cotswolds with rattling windows and all the usual problems associated with damp and mould and leaky roofs and all that sort of thing. And I've been in the middle of the Cotswolds and working in London. It was too far away and too expensive. So we looked, where could we go that was closer to London and found... Graven Hill and Vista, which is a self-build site, which lots of people are aware of, but it's the biggest self-build site in the UK. Well, I bought a plot, basically, and you build your own house. And it was like, oh, okay, it's closer to London, it's cheaper, and I get to do what I want to do. Plus, I can get out of the leaky house. There was a three-bed terrace that was, I think, about £1,600 a year in bills. So quite a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the heat just went straight out of the roof. Uh, and it had lots of very dodgy extensions on it from the 80s. So, yeah, so we started this, wasn't planned. It just came about as the right thing to do because of a need to move to reduce a commute and stop getting up at 5.30 in the morning. So we found a plot, we bought it because it's the developer, the one, the Graven Hill Development Company, put a lot of rules in place where we had to meet certain targets from an environmentally friendly point of view. And we've ended up in this very nice, very large, detached house that I designed and built that my electricity bill last year was 800 quid. In a time when everyone else's bills are doubling, mine is halved in a house that's 
uses twice as much energy as anyone else's of a similar size. So, and it sort of came about by accident at the beginning and then became planned. And then it was, well, what could we get in? So there's a really good bit there. So you went into this then, you embarked on a journey of looking for a place to live. That led you to Graven Hill. And I guess, was that a bit daunting, first of all, when you could have gone and bought a normal house in a normal location, or you could have found a plot where you could build a house and perhaps wouldn't be subject to such stringent constraints. What was the decision making there? Well, one, I've always wanted to build a house. I'm a designer. I spent my career doing offices and shops and a few houses early on. And it's something I've always wanted to do. But of course, living in Oxfordshire, every plot was a million quid, and then you've got to demolish the house and start again. So I'd like to consider myself fairly average. It was just cost prohibitive. It wasn't going to happen until this sort of development came along was offering the opportunity. So the plot was half, well, just over 200,000. So we're not talking a huge amount of money when you're living in Oxfordshire. Mm-hmm. And that then makes it affordable to be able to put a house on top of it. And we looked at all sorts of, you know, whether it was going to be a, a kit house or cost-effective house, or as we ended up in a sort of something that morphed from an idea into what we're in now. It wasn't daunting at all because I spend my life on building sites and designing buildings and things yeah. that goes into a building. I had a good idea of what I was going to have to do. The cost was daunting. Yeah. <laughs> Costs are always daunting, but when we start looking at those things, yeah. I will be working till I'm 67, but at least. But in a comfortable, very efficient and planet-benefiting property. Yeah. So give us a flavour for the types of targets you've had to consider up front. So if you just strip out what you've done, first of all, the sort of bare minimum things that you had to do, which would be perhaps different somewhere else so we had to meet quite stringent u-value targets for walls windows and doors which are greater than building regulations require there weren't any there might be now but when we started because we were quite early on quite early adopters there weren't any restrictions or requirements for us to go full eco it just seemed the right thing to do but yeah we have restricted on area size of the house, heights and various design things. But we had to build a very energy efficient house. So in order to meet very high U-values, it's going to be an energy efficient house. So it had to have an air tightness of less than three, pascals, whatever that may be. Um, So there were a few things that if you're going down that route, because the rules say you have to do it, then you automatically have to do other things. So if you're building an airtight house, you need mechanical ventilation. So then if you do a mechanical ventilation, you pick an efficient one that's going to, I think in mine, it heats the air up to 15 degrees just from the heat exchanger. Mm -hmm. So you're already halfway there. And then if you look at, you start to look at the other technologies, well, if I've already got 15 degrees in the house, I don't need a really great big gas boiler to give me 25 degrees or whatever you want to set your temperature at. You could go for a low heat option, which is an air source heat pump which then you look at and go, well, okay, well, I get an RHI or a government incentive to do that. So I'm going to mm-hmm. make up £150 a quarter for seven years. So it pays for it. So you've got to think, okay, well, I'm doing that, which leads to this, which leads to this and leads to that. And then when you start looking at all those other technologies, you think, well, okay, I've got to have this MVHR stroke ventilation system. I've got to have an air source heat pump. Well, my energy use is going through the roof because they're both, you know, the air source, the MVHR is on 24-7. Mm-hmm. So it's always running. So then that led me down the route of, well, I need to put solar on mm-hmm. to cover the energy draw. So I set a brief to myself, which at that point was, well, 
okay, I've got to put enough solar that covers the house. So the house can run itself 24-7 for free. That was my original target. So okay. basically, it wouldn't cost me any more than normal, and I'd have all these fabulous things, and they're running, and it doesn't cost me anything on a monthly basis. And that sort of led us to where we are. So, and then you sort of you start looking into it more, going, well, if I have this heat pump, it works in this environment. So maybe I want to improve the insulation on this, and that leads you down the route of how you build your house. Yeah. So you go for a timber frame that's got better insulation. You speak to the timber frame company. You add an extra 10 mil of insulation, or as much as we could in our case, because as much as we can afford. Yeah. So it becomes even more energy efficient. Yeah. And then you sort of start learning about air tightness and the effect that that can have. And you spend hours, we spend a fortune, spend hours with foil tape and air tightness tape, taping up all the cracks. Yeah. <laughs> and literally days and days and days doing that. And of course, that led us a timber frame house. Well, let's cloud it in timber which is a sustainable material. And then you look at other things. So the heating type, well, it's underfloor heating because I don't like radiators, but it's an air source heat pump, which is suited to underfloor heating. So you put that in. Although we have put more than you need in, that's because our we're still in our heads. We're still stuck in that old-fashioned way of thinking. You need to heat everywhere. And the reality is, the I think, when we the first energy consultant I spoke to was saying, well, you don't need any heating upstairs. You just need tower rails. <laughs> yeah. Which is true, but the reality is when you've got children and a, and a wife, they like to have warm floors and warm rooms. And because we've designed it ourselves, I've got four meter ceiling voids, so you have big space. So it can feel chilly. because You've got air constantly moving around, so it can feel chilly. So we do actually use the underfloor heating more than we thought we would. Right, okay. <laughs> so we put it in anyway. And then, so you already you start off at one point and it just leads you down you're doing one thing well if i'm doing that i need this then i need that and well i might as well do that so you end up almost accidentally with an eco house yeah i think that's really fascinating the way that you've explained that and the way that i guess going into it initially with no intention and then finding something which sort of brought about an intention and then as you've gone through that it's kind of created a natural snowballing hierarchy of decision making for you and yes. the family yeah i did always want to do something eco but it wasn't yeah. going to go as far as we actually did sure it wasn't okay. i mean i wasn't going to build a passive house yeah i've almost i think i'm mean, a passive house has to have an air tightness of 0.6 so i've got a 0.65 so i'm not quite there <laughs> but it's close enough. It doesn't. We don't live in Norway. It doesn't really make a difference. And that's the th- you have to be very sensible and common sense about this. And we live in the UK. It's damp and cold, but it's not minus twenty every day. You know, my house is based on a Canadian design that's built in the middle of a forest, yeah. um, and it's very, very similar to it. So, but it doesn't need to be as eco. It doesn't need to be as efficient as we perhaps think it does because of the climate that we live in in this country. It needs to be waterproof more than anything else. <laughs> so, yeah which thankfully it is but yeah no it started off with an idea of doing something and then snowballed into this sort of big thing that it did cost a lot of money yeah but i could have done it cheaper yeah but then you have to weigh up the cost that i've built a two thousand square foot four bed detached house yeah for about a hundred thousand less than that house would cost me to buy in the same area and i've got all the eco things on it which is the benefit, isn't it? You know, a double benefit, if you like. You know, it was less cost up front, so to speak, as well as an overall longevity of, you know, the next 30 years, that house is going to give its own yeah. returns. It was. An, it becomes a no-brainer. 
that you're going to do these things. And it constantly annoys me when you go around these new developments and they don't have solar on the roof. They're still putting in gas boilers. Mm-hmm. And you just think, well, you know, if you're building a house, it doesn't cost you a lot of money in the big scheme of things. Because you're, you're going to spend, well, 400000 500000 on, on a house. Or maybe mm. Even two fifty on a house, you can still put solar on it. You can still put an air source heat pump in. And you can buy decent quality kit. It's not what they say about air source heat pumps. There's, there must be bots or something that tell people don't buy them. They're rattly and horrible. Yeah. They're not. No. They're used everywhere else in the world. They sell millions of these things. Yeah. You know, we're all used to seeing and using them in a commercial zone, you know, yeah. like from, so it's just an unusual thing that it's not been accepted. There's a couple of bits I'd like to kind of go back and revisit there around the initial decision making and how, because I think one of the prohibitive aspects of this is exactly like you were saying in terms of, you know, the opinions of your wife and the family in terms of, I've got so many anecdotal stories of people that supply air source heat pumps that fit radiators upstairs to people's homes that they know will not be used ever and they try their hardest to convince the purchaser you don't need them you know this is how the technology works the upper floors will be heated from the system that we've put in in the ground floor me i'm a heat emitter (laughs) tv is on i mean we had an old tv yeah it was like sitting we realized once we were here how much like sitting in front of a fire it actually was right because you could actually feel the heat from it um, so we changed that quite well. I think it was quite old and probably in danger of catching fire. But, um, <laughs> but we now have an ultra-efficient new, well, a year-old TV that has very little heat coming out of it, which helps because like, my biggest problem is overheating. Yeah, that's something I was going to ask you about as we move on. But I'm sort of getting the sense that you didn't find it difficult yourself to embrace this new technology and you know consider a different way of designing the house because you're interested and knowledgeable around it. But how did you convince the family that losing what they know was still the right way to do it? If I take my family's experience, they don't listen to what I say. So <laughs> <laughs> no problem. I've got two teenagers; they're a bit younger when we started. I don't think they really thought too much of it, but they were very keen that it was green and, you know, an eco house. That's good. My wife thinks the same as me, although she held the purse string. So obviously there's a fair bit of, you can't have that one. Um, <laughs> can't you do it like this way? But I think, so that wasn't too difficult. I think I've had more problems describing it to people since we've done it. Right. They don't understand what we've done. Yeah, they don't Um, understand the sort of intricacies of the correlated aspects and how they all work together. Yeah, because we've grown up with radiators and gas boilers, you know, and zombie boilers were the thing that you all want. And, you know, I've gone back to a hot water tank. We now have arguments getting my teenage son out of the shower. I've had to buy him a shower timer. (laughs) (laughs) He runs all the water out. Because that's, you know, people might see that as a problem, but it's cost me nothing to heat the water or very little. Yeah, so people see what I've done, that you can see them going, well, why have you done that? You know, oh, it's going to cost too much money. And I keep coming, especially with the solar, the answers you get is, oh, well, the, the cost-benefit analysis doesn't make sense. It's not about the cost in every situation. You know, I pay £65 a month for a house that uses over 10,000 kilowatt hours a year of electricity. Yes. You know, so actually it's, it's, that is quite cost-effective then in that sense, isn't it? It is quite cost-effective, and it does more than anyone else's house. Yeah. I've got twice as many sockets and things plugged in everywhere. Everything's electric. And I think my wife did have a few sort of comments about, well, you know, everything's electric, isn't that, you know, eggs and baskets sort of scenario. But it wasn't really an issue because that was just the right way to do it. And when you start looking into this, it becomes very obvious. 
it's the right way to do it. I mean, all the shops I've ever designed, all 100% electric, have been for years. SOC pumps are not a new thing in my world. Absolutely <laughs> not. No, you, you know, you've been around them for most of your career. Yeah. And you have to be eco-conscious because you're dealing with companies who, who have massive electricity bills. Mm. So I think where I work, we talk in millions of kilowatt hours per year. You know, so it's lots and lots of money and cost. So anything you can do to reduce that energy usage is there anyway. Mm. It's just the rest, the rest of the things that waste the money. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> the problem. But yeah, so when you talk to people, they look at, well, why have you done that? You think, well, once you start down the street, you think, well, I'm doing an eco house, so I'm going to make a difference. So my little part of the world is, you know, I'm minus two and a half tons of carbon a year just on the house. Okay, my three litre diesel car, which is going electric soon, might change that. But I've got a very good starting point. Uh-huh. And it was fairly easy to do. And I don't understand why developers and other people can't do it. Building a house is easy. It's just a big Lego system. Putting it together in the right way is difficult. Yes. And yeah. in a way that's going to be consistently good and consistent. Yeah. Remembering all the details in the right place. Yeah. One of the challenges I see to one of those problems that you mentioned around developers, and it would be good to see what your experience of this was like. So... The supply chains at the moment through all of the major developers are so intrinsically linked and they're so, you know, mature and well-developed. They have been developed over, let's say, the last 50 years. Yeah, when you look at the yeah. likes of Taylor Wimpy, Barrett's and, you know, those people. So, and, you know, at that level, the margins they deal with are quite small. So you can see where it's difficult for them to make that shift because, you know, a disruption to that supply chain initially is always going to cause some level of disruption and maybe availability, knowledge, et cetera. So how did you find when you were sourcing equipment, how did you one find, you know, how available was it? How much options did you have? And what was the advice like that you were able to get back? Very difficult. I could build a Barrett home from a local builder's merchants. Yeah. Can't build my house. And there's nothing in this house that is new or way out or any different stuff that's built all over the world. Mm-hmm. It's just we have a monopoly of developers. Yeah. We're forced everyone down the same route. Mm-hmm. So I, most of the stuff has come from specialist suppliers. Obviously, screws and nails and so on come from Wix or something. Yeah, like yeah. But, you know, when you're going and you're asking for a stainless steel screw because you're using, you know, large cladding, they're not in stock. You've got to buy it online. And that's frustrating is that the supply chain is not set up to necessarily build an eco house. Yeah. And there are a lot of skills and knowledge there. I mean, I picked Dakin for my air source heat pump because they're mm-hmm. the biggest manufacturer of aircon units in the world. Mm-hmm. And there are Dakin engine, aircon engineers in every town or village in the country, mainly working commercially. So I thought, well, if I pick one of these new smaller brands who are developing, they're only going to have two engineers. I'll pick one of the guys within 10 miles who could fix it. You just don't know they're there. Those guys are all living in Barrett homes. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I found it very, very frustrating that I couldn't go and get what I wanted to get. Yeah. Even though it's a timber house put together with screws and nails and glue, it's got plasterboard, home plasterboard you can get. And I suppose because I do a lot of work commercially, I've got a lot of commercial details from here. So that was difficult for some contractors to work their heads around. Yeah. Why do you do it like that? Yeah. Well, why wouldn't I? This is <laughs> doing it. You know, I've got emergency lighting. The electrician was going, well, why are you putting that in? Well, it means that when I've got a light on downstairs by the door, if there's a fire, I can get out. <laughs> it you know, cost me 75 quid. I mean, it's not, not a lot of money. But yeah, we're not set up to do something different. And I find that frustrating. However, 
I can look out the window now and there's 20 houses around me that are all different. Yeah. And are they all unique in that sense? Pretty much. There's some kit homes here, but they're now up to, I don't know how many houses are here, but I think we're nearing the 500 people. So it's quite a few out of what's going to be 1900 units. Yeah. First two phases are fully sold. Yeah. And there's lots of unique houses here. Still a lot of gas and not enough solar, but you know. So how do you feel when you look across the development and you walk around and you, I would assume, you know, it's probably quite a a proud, you know, sort of community in that sense that everyone sort of has. I used that phrase earlier in another conversation about, you know, an Englishman's home is his castle. But so that level of yes. pride of being able to build something yourself must exist. What's your pride levels against, you know, your competitors, you. if you like, because <laughs> you seem to have done more, right? I think I've done more, but... I think if we hadn't had the pandemic, I'd probably know more about what the others have done. Sure. Because we haven't been in and out of each other's houses because we moved yeah. during the first lockdown. Right. Uh, okay, right, yeah. My furlough enabled me to finish the house. <laughs> so we did help immensely. But the I, I did ask for more, but unfortunately work was too busy. <laughs> everyone's done something unique, and there, there is a lot of pride in what we've done. Not everyone's built their own. Some people bought kits, but still it's, they've picked it, they've specified Yeah, yeah. They haven't gone along and been told what they're going to buy. Or just walked in and out of a couple of options and chosen sort of, you know, your middle ground to what you wanted, really. Yeah. And if you go anywhere else in the world, this is how they build houses. You know, you go, I've got that little land, and you go and pick your house and say to the builder, I want that one, please. Off they go and build it. That's quite common in Australia. It's all that's the only way they do it in Australia, I think. All across Europe, that's just how they do it. We're stuck in this country because it's all linked to, I'm not going to get into politics, but it's all linked to the shareholders and money and the monopoly of the house builders. And that supply chain challenge again, yeah. you know, that it's, yeah. they're all cascading down to each other where, you know, it's, they're all part ownership, you know, whatever it might be that that yeah. whole, that's the maturity that needs to be done. Yeah. And here, I mean, there are houses here where, you know, they bought a plot of land for less than 150 and they've built the house for 150. And they Amazing. bought a house that's worth four fifty or yeah. five hundred. Yeah, that's got all the eco bells and whistles. You don't have to spend a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And I've got doors that cost me one hundred and fifty quid. I could have put thirty five quid doors in. You know, I put an extra ten mil of insulation in. Well, I perhaps didn't need to. Probably cost me four hundred quid more. Yeah, but, you know, it's and I picked some a membrane that was really expensive. And I didn't, you know. It, Ultimately, I perhaps didn't have to do those things. Uh-huh. Um, but I want it. you get into it and you start going, well, I want to be different and I want to do more. I end up thinking, God, how much? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then sort of pay yourself back a bit. But, Your own cost control. Yeah, very much. Because you know, this is all done on credit cards and mortgage and loans. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you still owe money for it, you know. But yeah, it, it is nice to go around and, because this development is all about community. So I knew all my neighbours before I moved in. Because you were all like conversing. Yeah, nights we've had, you know, there's uh, Facebook groups, there's, you know, there's people helping each other out. You know, my site shed, which is I bought for 200 quid, and when I've, I've still got it, it's going to go to someone else for probably free, actually. It's a bit knackered now. <laughs> um, all my site fire alarm system went to another self-built. A lot of my offcuts are in someone's shed. So there's things moving around. There's a lot less waste. 
Yeah, that's I think, again, that's that's fascinating, isn't it? That the sort of attraction of going to somewhere a bit different, taking on the risk, if you like, of moving somewhere and having to build it to a different standard to what we're used to yeah. and then embracing that. And I can imagine what, you know, that must create a community. And again, I go back to that point of a community of pride. So I know you're very proud of what you've achieved and what you've done. How does your wife find that when you're in social settings? So I'd imagine this is dinner um, party chat number one. Right. I do find her talking about the house when she perhaps would tell me that she wasn't. <laughs> so she's embraced it as much as you have in that sense. Yeah. I mean, for instance, because we've just had our first full 12 months, mm-hmm. sort of January to December. So I now have a full set of figures for my solar generation and electricity usage. Now I messed up. I'm not a mathematician. I thought it cost me 150 quid a year, but because I did the calculation wrong and I got her to do the spreadsheet and it cost us 832 quid. And, uh, and you think, wow, and I've heard her telling people that. Right. It means that you know she's got some pride in it as well. And to me, that's the thing that, well, it's worked. I've done something right. Mm. You know, it's sort of a time when it's you don't want expensive bills. It's all going up. Mine's going down. I mean, it will go up when I plug the car in, but <laughs> um, not much. Yeah, well, then that's offset against other aspects that, you know, you won't be putting diesel in it, which, again, is only going to get, you know, more and more yeah. cost prohibitive as we go it's forward. A litre, but, but there are other hidden things that aren't so obvious. You know, I've got the solar, I've got the SLC pump, the MVHR, which are the things you'd expect to see. I've got lots of insulation. I've got 5,000 litre tank, all our toilets flush on rainwater. Mm-hmm. Now, that was a pain to sort out, and I've got an old-fashioned system in the loft. I say loft, it's within the house, it's a cupboard. Um, But it's, you know, it's an old-fashioned system. It pumps up from underground. Right. In a bit like the old gravity fence and feeds via gravity. Right. Because it only pumps at the end of the day. It doesn't pump every time you pull the flush. Okay, right. Um, But it's all free water. Yeah. I have a discount. It's not much. It's surprisingly little. £25 a year, I think, discount on my water bill because I, I don't drain into the drains. My rainwater doesn't drain in. Yeah. So it's sort of, that's it. You don't see that because it's all yeah. on the room. But there's other things like the way we design the plumbing system. We put um, a manifold plumbing system. Oh, okay, right. Which is completely non-standard and no one stocks the joints. You have to buy it online or find special. I was just about to say, yeah. that must have presented some supply chain issues in itself. Yeah, well, I found someone in Oxford. I found some. There are people around, but they know, again, it's a commercial product. Mm-hmm. You tend not to sit in houses, but... I open a, a cupboard in my utility room and there's a manifold where the water feeds in and there's one pipe that goes to a tap. So there's in the entire house, there's one joint behind the walls, except for the showers, which are obviously built in. Yeah. Everything else is, there's no exposed joints. There's no hidden joints anywhere. Just yeah. one where I couldn't get away with it, but yeah. I can get to it. So I'm not going to have a leak behind the wall because of a leaky joint. But because I've, I've centralised it and everything's on the same side of the house, I have shorter pipe runs. So I was able to put all the pipes in pre-insulated and I have shorter pipe runs. So you get hot water to tap quicker and it's not sitting in pipes and it's not losing the heat over, you know, an old copper pipe that's embedded in the wall and heating the wall up and nothing else and going for metres and metres around the house. So my water system works more efficiently because it's not having to push water around at a, you know, greater distances. Yeah. Even if I've got a bigger house, 
So the way we designed the house was to get everything in one place rather than all over the place. Right. So everything's more like everything that requires the same service is more or less on the same line of the house. On the same side of the house. It's not, I mean, my daughter complains about it because her room's not big enough because of it. But, <laughs> um, but she's been more sweet. No, which we wouldn't have been able to afford in our house. You know, to have two on suites in the main bathroom. You know, so it's those things, the little design things you do as you go through, when you start to apply sort of a bit of common sense, suddenly it becomes cheaper because you're buying less of it. Yeah. You're not leaching heat out because the shorter runs. Yeah. And you get hot water at the tap quicker, which is a nice thing to have. Which is a very um, nice thing to have, yeah. You know, it's sort of... And I think it all adds up in the end, and you end up in this sort of scenario where... I've got a house with a really good EPC. I've got cheap electricity bills. It's always warm. I might feel a bit chilly in the mornings, but whose house doesn't? A house hasn't dropped below 19 degrees since before we moved in. Consistently. So everything off, even today where it's minus two this morning outside, it won't drop below 19 degrees. Well, that's warmer than my house. And windows and leave it open for hours just to... Just to cool it down. So that's right. You mentioned overheating earlier, and that was something I wanted to ask you about because that's one of the challenges, really, about efficiency within homes. Like when you talk about air tightness and things like that, you know, I appreciate, you know, the fact you've got mechanical ventilation in there to offset it and all of that type of thing. So we didn't have a particularly hot summer this time, this year round, I think. The year before was warmer. Do you think that's going to cause you any problems in the summer? Well, we thought it was very hot. Yes, it did, it did cause problems. We've put a cooling system. We bought a, an MVHR system that had a cooling element to it. So we paid the extra money to put that on. It's not air conditioning. It will drop. It's comfort cooling. Okay. So it will cool a house five to seven degrees cooler than the outside temperature, which is great. But when it's... 38 i think we had in the summer. yeah <laughs> it's still bloody hot in the house yeah and of course, because we're south facing we've got big windows triple triple glazed yeah the heat gain at the front of the house is huge mm-hmm. to the point where we're now having to put um well we're looking at what can we do whether it's breeze lills to shade the windows or to mirror film them which you can't really do on triple glazing because it cracks glass <laughs> it's quite why it heats up the glass panes different temperatures sure, of course yeah so it, it, there is an issue. And so the during an afternoon, the, the front two bedrooms, because it's a black house with a black, a dark grey roof with solar panels on, the heat's not escaping because the outside of the house is hot. Yeah. You've got lots of sun coming in, so mm. it builds up a lot of heat. And it hangs around. Yeah. It, everything gets warm. So Yeah, like the whole environment. a bit of an issue. Um, mm-hmm. I think we'll, that'll settle down when we sort out that, you know, reduce the amount of heat coming in. Mm-hmm. But in hindsight, I wouldn't have done a dark grey roof. <laughs> right. Okay. Because yeah, you could have lost a bit more heat if you had done it differently. Yeah, it wouldn't have heated up so much. So I've got a steel roof that's the last of fifty years, which is great. It's not going to leak, which is great. It's galvanised, powder coated roof. It looks good. You can't hear it because there's so much insulation, which is good. Yeah. And it's protected by the solar panels. Yeah. <laughs> Thirty-three of them on the roof. It's um, even better. And so, yeah, they'll go before the roof. It all works out that you do end up with a scenario. Well, well, let's all you all end up in the kitchen because it's cooler, or you're not going upstairs. You just change the way that you work. Yeah, now, I think in the weather, the, the hot days we have had, that's been the same for everybody. Because we were yeah. renting a house, well, a normal estate house, when we were building this, and we had the same problems there, just not quite so hot as it gets in our front bedroom. <laughs> so, 
How long's the journey been? I think the first drawing was March 2016. And we moved in in 2020. Yeah, four years. So, but actually the house went up in two weeks, three named storms when it was being built. And then it took us about 18 months from that point to move it in. To get in it all started all down. We moved in August, yeah. So, so not a huge amount of time. I think it, had I built a, bought a bottle land somewhere else, we would have been a lot quicker. Yeah. Um, because we bought through a developer in a new thing. Yeah. It took a lot to get, get here. Right, um, yeah. But that's hard in itself. And so the people are moving in now are going to be a lot quicker. Yeah. Well, one would hope anyway. <laughs> As your community grows around you, which is fabulous. Yeah. Has it led you to, I guess there's a couple of questions left before I let you go. I don't want to take all of your time up, obviously. <laughs> Has it led you to think about other areas of your life in terms of all of the great beneficial parts of living in an eco home? And, you know, you're clearly passionate about making sure you're getting that right. So as it transposed to any other things like transport, holidays, food, that kind of thing? Probably not nothing to do with food and holidays. I mean, we're going on less holidays, but isn't everyone at the moment? We've yeah. got a little bit less money to do that. But because I've put the solar in, and because I mean, I generated 7,500 kilowatt hours mm-hmm. and used 2,500, because I don't have a battery. The next thing I'm saving for is a solar battery. And then we've got a car scheme at work, so I should be getting an electric car fairly yeah. soon, as soon as I can, they can deliver one. And we've calculated if I don't charge it anywhere other than at home, that car will be completely free to run for a year. Based on the fact that you overproduce in terms of your solar, you'll have a battery to place it and that will be suitable to get you to and from work. Yeah. So if I'm using, what, I think 20,000 miles, about 2,000 kilowatt hours, I think, for that car to charge over the year. Well, I've got that in abundance. I'm, I'm using, I'm generating that. Yeah. I won't be selling that to the electricity company. I'll be using it. Okay. So my bill might go up slightly, but it's going to be a balance. I've got to work this one out yet. But we're going to end up with two electric cars with one charger. Yeah. One's always here in the day anyway. So that charges in the day completely for free from yeah. the solar because the charger optimizes from the solar. Okay, right, yeah. And then the other car will charge overnight from the battery that's charged up off the solar during the day. So we could, we spend, we do a lot of miles and we spend running kids around schools or colleges and things like that. Uh-huh. We could effectively, I'll never go to a petrol station again. Which will be a, a wonderful thing to yeah. have in your life. So we can afford, we've worked it out, we've got to finalise it, but we can have a better spec car that costs us more money because we're not paying, what, 100, 100 pounds a week in fuel or what's well, about 80 pounds a week at the moment. Because uh, it gets quite expensive at the moment. Mm. So all that extra money I'm saving on fuel is going to go towards a nicer holiday and a better car. Got it all worked um, out in that sense. Which just is unfortunately, awesome. because of the price of electric cars, yeah, I won't have two just yet because you know I haven't got twenty grand to go and drop on my second just, car just straight away, just like that. Yeah, they're they're, yeah. they're not they're well, not cheap. Of, you know, diesel second hand diesel for a bit longer. But you know, my son has just learned to drive once an electric car. Wow, that's cool. You know, he was saying, well, why do I have to, can't I do an automatic test? Because I'm going to be driving an electric car. So there are lots of things that are going to affect, you know, their lives moving forward. Yeah. We will eventually have three electric cars out, probably within the next 18 months. I know, still only one charger, because I haven't worked out how to do that yet. Because Yeah, have multiple chargers. <laughs> too, and that. too much of the feed that we've got, but I don't want to switch to three-phase electricity. But, um, so, yeah, so it, it is changing the way we think about that. 
And again, that's another thing that annoys me. You keep sort of, I look at about electric cars and I go, oh, it's all about the range and how far it goes. Well, okay, we might go to Cornwall once. You know, the mother-in-law's in Surrey. And that's, well, that's 50 miles away. I mean, I'm not going to be doing 300-mile trips. You know, I mean, if I do, well, I can plan it. Yeah. Um, and if you build it in, then, okay, the fact you turn up and there's one broken, it doesn't, you can allow the time. But most of the time, I'm going to be driving around well within my range. So I don't need a car that's going to do gazillions of miles. Yeah, I think that's a really good point about, which kind of applies to all of these aspects, really, that that cynicism of people, especially around, you know, our age, I guess, from that point yeah. of view, every everyone's cynical about it. You know, the amount of times yeah. I'll hear my friends going, oh, well, you know, you're going to charge up your electric car. Well, where does the power come from? You know, like the, not understanding yeah. how deep... Free from the sun. Yeah, well, uh, you have yours. Yeah, but yeah. but even, even from the grid, you know, we, without understanding how much decarbonisation has actually taken place in the UK from our electricity supply yeah. as a whole, you know, and all of those constituent parts where that cynicism definitely does contribute towards it. What's next? Are you finished? Oh, no, the house will never be finished. Um, <laughs> we still haven't finished. The, I mean, obviously, the battery is the next thing to go on. I've still got some decorating to do. And the next week, we are building a shed in the garden that will have a green roof. So okay. it'll have a seed and roof. So nice. it'll attract the bees, which is mm-hmm. what my daughter wanted. So part of that, it'll, it'll help to make, keep that shed warmer. And it'll just be a little, I mean, it's not big, you know, it's four and a half metres by two and a half metres. Well, it sounds big. But it's going to end up with all our crap in it <laughs> to keep the house clean. But it'll be energy efficient in that it'll be well insulated and it won't lose heat. So I'll be able to put, you know, electric heating in there and be able to turn it on because I've got the solar. Mm-hmm. I'll be able to keep my shed and all my tools warm in the winter. They will last longer. So so the eco things you do help along other things. So I'm not putting my yeah. stuff in a drafty shed that freezes in the cold weather. It's in a nice environment. So my 300 quid Makita drill will last me another five years. There's yeah. lots of good things that come out of it. And the other aspect not to be ignored there as well is that if you're putting a natural roof on, that you're increasing the biodiversity of yeah. the estate by your own contribution. Yeah. You know? And planning reforms will dictate that all developments and and anything you know going through planning in the future will have to provide a 20 percent you know biodiversity net gain you're putting yourself in that space already again which is you know again which is commendable yeah and it but it just seems a sensible thing to do and again because i'm building it from scratch you know it's easy to do you know people think oh this is really hard and it's all complicated it's not complicated it's quite simple on the roof that i was going to in the park you know yeah that's only a bit more wood yeah 100 quid you know, it's not. Uh, well, I suppose it depends how much spare money you've got to do it. I mean, that's mm. the thing. I'm, I have to be careful because, yes, I've spent a fair bit of money on this, and I was luckily I'm able to afford it. Mm. But I could have done this for considerably less money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could have done it smaller. I didn't mm-hmm. need to put thirty three panels on. Mm-hmm. Well, I thought I did at the time, but you know, I managed to get a good deal. <laughs> I could have put half that and still mm. have the same effect. Yeah, right. Yeah, still made more than you're using. Yeah. So it's sort of it's achievable for lots of people to do these sort of things if you're building from scratch. Yeah. And what I'm intrigued about is, I mean, if if work all fell apart, people stop buying things, then I would probably move into this that sort of world and helping people understand how to do this. Come and work for Carbon Profile. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, whether you can afford me or not. <laughs> but it's to me, it's the way we've got we've got to do it. And it's all about incremental things. We're not going to get down to net zero in reality, not with the housing stock in this country. Uh-huh. But if we can, we can make it a lot better. Uh-huh. 
Definitely. You know, even if you're just insulating your loft. My brother works for Act on Energy, so they're all about helping people in affordable housing mm-hmm. insulate their houses. Mm-hmm. And they've got loads of people doing this. They've employed yeah. PMs, they're getting more money out of the councils, they're going around and just installing insulation. It's a big thing. It's happening all the time. And if you can help people change their mindset away from what we were brought up in, which is hanging your clothes, drying your clothes on a radiator, I put our clothes on a drying rack in the utility room. They're dry within half an hour. Because it's warm in there. It's warm and it's got airflow. It's really sick. And it's controlled airflow, not a hole in a leaky window. Yeah. So, yeah. And that's a big difference with ventilation. Yeah, you, know, you learn a lot of things as well. I spent hours watching YouTube and reading. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, there's far too much knowledge in my head now. It's a no-brainer to me that I don't think, oh, God, if I lost my job, I wouldn't know what to do. I know exactly what I'd do, and it would be somewhere in this world of yeah. sustainability, moving to and helping people build a house or adding it to the house. More people are needed with that passion and knowledge and experience, you know, in in the industry because it is it's one of the biggest problems that we're all going to face in the next 10, 20 years. It's going to be availability of resources and yeah. knowledge. Knowledge, and it doesn't take a lot of knowledge. And uh, it's quite straightforward stuff. You put something in to offset against that. So, you know, if you, you spend your, you can get solar panels for three grand for three and a half, for 4.6 kilowatt system or smaller, about 2.4, I think, anyway. You know, it's that would reduce your bill and you'll pay that off quite quickly. Or it means you can run your car for free. You, know, you can afford a car. There's lots of things that I think that knowledge isn't really out there because not enough people have done it yet. And if the developers building the housing estates, started to do this you know there's an eco estate here in Bristol that i worked on it yeah they've all got rainwater tanks you know i, I don't know how many i think a lot of them have got solar or they might all have solar there's district heat in there as well yeah and district so all of those things uh in the big scheme of things when you're building doing a new development don't cost that much money so i find mm. it shocking that the developers aren't going down that route mm. but it goes back to the supply chain their guys can just go down to Travis Perkins and buy the bit that they have, they've missed for the truck. Yeah. Or they've got a warehouse where they've got bulk purchases of all those. You know, they've probably yeah. got an overrun, you know, in terms of longevity of purchasing and contracts yeah. for the next five years of supplying boilers, you know, like from that yeah. point of view. So that's where... Yeah. That... Well, they have a lot of waste. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah, if where you build a house individual in small batches, you reduce the waste because you don't have to buy so much. You know, you go on a building site and, you know, I've had stuff out of scripts for this house. That people right. are away and you think yeah. how do you get away with that right you know, that's a 20 quid downpipe joint you know a saw stack you know yeah i'll have that thanks yeah it's just sat there doing nothing I'm gonna go in the bin yeah and that happens far too much it's the knowledge of the contractors then the more houses like this we build the, yeah. the greater the knowledge base will or the knowledge base in the industry will grow. Mm. And that's a really important point around that. But I think there's another bit there that one of the great things I think about your whole journey and your and two of the points you made there towards the end about your son wanting to drive an electric car, because, you know, that mindset must have come from what you've done and what you've achieved and, you know, the, the direction yeah. you're going. Because most boys his age would be like, you know, I want something sleek and low and, you know, like whatever it yeah. might be, you know, but what night he might be interested. I don't know. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. And then the fact that your daughter's, you know, requested that you do a natural roof. So yeah. that family involvement in the whole project is a really fascinating thing. Right. So just before we end, I think if you had the opportunity to be a government spokesperson for this, right. And you were appointed minister of transition to new homes. What kind of three 
key things would you focus on or would you try to get the public to focus on, which you think is how can we change everyone's mind? There's several different things. I mean, you'll know this. It's it's air climates and insulation. So they've got to do more to help the insulation. And they've got to build up the helping people who live in old leaky houses, 1950s, 60s, poorly built housing stock or the you know, the guys in the Victorian houses. Um, actually, most of them are okay. They're just yeah. windows. Big stone walls. <laughs> yeah. They need to do more about that and making it easy. You need to make the knowledge easy for people to go and do it themselves. You know, they... And that starts with air source heat pumps. You, you look up air source heat pumps, and uh, there was something on Twitter recently about me and my crap air source heat pump, or whatever. Because one person's had a bad experience of it, social media explodes that into, you know, a nightmare, and everybody suddenly hates it. You know, and they go, oh, won't the water be hot enough? It's scalding our water. <laughs> and unless my son's going to shout too long, it's warm enough. Um, yeah. The house is too hot, you know, if anything. So they've got to help with that improving the knowledge of and getting it out there more that way it'll, it'll become easier for people to accept it and i think they're going to have to force it because i don't think we should be waiting for 2027 or 25 whatever it is to stop gas mm. we should ban it now on new builds why are people putting gas boilers in new houses now when they don't have to when air source heat pumps are now the same price as gas boilers and if you know bellway or whoever they are whichever hope any of the housing companies are no longer putting gas boilers in, they're going to go to the same supplier and go, can I have an air source heat pump? And they'll go, mm. yeah, I've got this one. Mm. And they're going to order their warehouse full of them and they're mm. going to get the discounts. So it comes down to become more affordable. Mm. And if they design it properly, they're using less pipes, they're not paying, putting radiators in. Yeah. You know, they're, they're using less metal. <laughs> Which know? is good. So there's all sorts of things that just by... T- Getting the knowledge out there and helping it, helping people understand it better, mm-hmm. is going to make a massive difference. So, thanks so much for your time, Russ. I'm yeah. genuinely fascinated by the whole journey. I think what you've achieved, you know, collectively as a family, is commendable. Really, really good. Really interesting. Yeah, I could sit here and talk all day about it, really. But <laughs> I could bore you about it all day. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, I think there's, should we be lucky enough to still be doing this podcast in 12 months time? I'd love to revisit this and see where yeah. you are in your second year, you know, and your third year and see how all those yeah, differences have come it. about. But it would be amazing. So your parting point then, what do you think the key thing to convincing Joe Public to do this is? To make these kinds of decisions, brave decisions on changing the way we live? That it's not difficult. It's not different. It's, yes, it's different, but it's better. You know, I walk in, everyone who's, I mean, unfortunately not as many people as I'd like to have come around because of the pandemic, but every time somebody walks in here, they go, oh, doesn't it feel nice? Now, okay, I may not have designed the best looking house in the world because I yeah. did it. I yeah. think it looks nice. Kevin McLeod likes it, apparently. But people walk in and it's got a nice atmosphere. It smells nice. You know, we went away on holiday for a week. I put the system on holiday mode, came back, and it smelled new like a car does. Right. Uh, still after a year, you know, because it's, and it's not like when you walk into an old house where it's stuffing horrible. And the whole feeling of living here is better. And so it's if you want to go down, if you can, if you've got the ability to do it, then I would hardly recommend, you know, building your own house because you can put all these things in. But I would also recommend doing it to the house you're in now, because it's just a bit of hard work yeah. at the beginning. It's not a lot to get it to put these things in and make them work. And they shouldn't be scared of them because it's just different. 
there you go, listeners, from someone that's actually living in this and lived through the change, the overriding message is different is better in these circumstances. <laughs> okay, thanks again, Russ. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll see you again next time on Carbon Times. Thanks.